Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, we are here because for the first time since the War of 1812, our nation's capital came under violent assault. For the first time in history, the attack was incited by a sitting President of the United States to disrupt the peaceful transfer of presidential power. By engaging in insurrection against the Constitution, President Trump disqualified himself from public office. The court is not pleased. Oh no, Jason Murray, attorney representing the voters of Colorado. The court is completely unpleased, dare I say, displeased. There has to be some process for determining those questions. And then the question becomes, does anything in the 14th Amendment say that only Congress can create that process? And and Section 5 very clearly is not an exclusive provision. It says Congress shall have power. But maybe put most boldly, I think that the question that you have to confront is why a single state should decide who gets to be president of the United States. That's Elena Kagan. And it is the question before us. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, Boo Bear? 833-GOT-TONY-833-468-8669. Go on. Argue in favor of the state of Colorado. Argue in favor of the idea that Colorado should be able to just unilaterally decide that someone is guilty of insurrection without a trial and then keep them off a presidential ballot, therefore working to decide for those of us in Indiana or in Missouri or in Georgia or in Michigan, deciding for us who our presidential choices are. 833-468-8669, 833-GOT-TONY. Tell me. Tell me. Because the answer is uh, they don't get to decide. And you can't decide someone is guilty of something by declaring it. You have to have them adjudicated. Now, this upsets the Trump hater. And to them, I want to... There comes a moment where there are no more niceties to to engage. That you must cut to the bone of the situation in order to, to get to a place of a shared understanding. I am not a believer in name calling. I'm not a believer in personal attacks and never have been. But if you think Trump is guilty of insurrection because you feel that way, may I suggest, and, and just uh, uh, this is a theory out there, and, I, and I'm going to apply it here. Rarely do I do such a thing. Um, suck it. What? How? I, there's nothing else to say. I can't think of another way to engage this conversation. Don't you get that your emotions are so completely out of whack? You actually believe your emotion should be law? Don't you know how dangerous that is? Don't you know that we built a system in the United States, a republic, not a democracy, 
to proactively avoid that? Don't you know that when your emotions become law, you're actually in favor of the dictatorship and you're in favor of yourself being the dictator? If something happened to your children and somebody did harm to your children, you want to destroy that person. The rule of law has a system for dealing with this. Now, if you go and destroy that person, you're more than welcome to. Now, you have to deal with breaking the law. It is about trying to remove oneself from their emotions so that a justice can prevail. These people want to utilize their emotions to say Trump shouldn't be on the ballot. They think their emotions are, are of, of, of value to the point that you shouldn't be able to decide who you get to vote for. That's how ugly and despicable they are. Why? There, there's nothing else for me to say. I have no other way of, of getting through to them. It's not that they're just wrong. They're not only as wrong as wrong can be, they're dangerous. Now, not as dangerous right now as, as uh, Joe Biden. I'm going to get to that story coming up in a little bit. But this is, 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 is going on. This, this trial is happening. The Supreme Court is hearing arguments. And I, I don't know. I don't know if they're done now because they, they were hearing them. Could your position oh, is this, this disqualification on? is really the same as any other disqualification, age or residence or what have you? That's correct. And, and, and what if uh, I were to push back on that and say, well, this t- disqualification, number one, it's in the 14th Amendment. And the point of the 14th Amendment was to take away certain powers from the states. Number two. Uh, Section 3 itself gives Congress a very definite role, which Mr. Mitchell says is interfered with by the ability of states to take somebody off the ballot. Um, And uh, maybe number three, it's just more complicated and more contested. And if you want more political. And why don't all of those things make a difference in our thinking about this qualification as opposed to any other? And so, Your Honor, I think the trouble with uh, categorizing the insurrection issue as, as necessarily more difficult is it's just uh, an assumption that's coming up, I think, because of this case. Um, and again, back to the Chief Justice's point, we could have a very easy case under the 14th Amendment with an avowed insurrectionist who you know, came in and wrote on his paperwork, I engaged in an insurrection in violation of the 14th Amendment, um, and it would be an open and shut case as to whether or not that person would meet the qualifications to be on the Colorado ballot. Um, with respect to your other questions about the 14th Amendment, my positions are based on the assumption that um, under the 14th Amendment, the states have the power to enforce uh, uh, Section 3, just like they do other presidential qualifications. And this is, of course, the conversation. That's Shannon Stevenson. She's the Colorado Solicitor General. This idea of who gets to uh, institute these powers is, is, is so much a part of this. Let's, let's go to the 14th Amendment, shall we? Just... Uh, we should all be on the same page. I think we should all be uh, in, 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 in the same place here. 14th Amendment, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. Now, we get to number three, section three. 
No person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state, who having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each house, remove such disability. Colorado wants to say that they have the right to remove Donald Trump from the ballot because of engaging in insurrection or rebellion against the same. The fact that he has never been adjudicated guilty of insurrection is inconsequential to them. And then to the point that uh, uh, Justice Elena Kagan was making, whose authority is this? It's as she's arguing, as, as, or as Elena Kagan is stating, Justice Kagan, this is to reduce the power of the states, which we can discuss federalism and whether we want that or not. But I don't think one could discuss in any kind of rational way the idea that the state of, California, of Colorado can decide unilaterally based on something that was never adjudicated whether someone could be on the ballot based on their feelings and by the way not necessarily even based on their feelings based on the feelings of those in an aligned political party now i'm really going to dig in this tomorrow when i've got all the audio and and everything the justice has said and, and and further break this down but this is this is fascinating and i think one of the most fascinating parts of this you get to hear it. It's you know you don't have cameras in in the in the Supreme Court. They don't do that. But you've got the audio. It's happening live, and we hear it. That's a, that's incredible. That's an unbelievable thing. The country is still awesome. Awesome. Meanwhile, there is no deal on the border. I have got that story coming up. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. When it comes to the border, and absolutely no one is surprised, isn't that right, Senator Cinema? This four to five thousand that folks are talking about doesn't mean four to five thousand people get to willy-nilly come into the country each day. It means that when those two systems get full, the detention beds and the supervision, instead of letting the system get backed up and just releasing people, we instead say, nope. We're closed. No one gets to even approach the border. It's somewhat like the Title 42 authority we had during COVID, except we actually built in penalties for people who attempt to cross multiple times. Title 42 had no such penalties. So uh, allow me, Senator Cinema, just for the sake of the, of, the, of the conversation. What do you mean nobody else can approach the border? Because in your argument, as somebody who was a co-author of this legislation, that alone would be enough for me to vote no. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? Find everything at TonyKatz.com. 
833-468-8669, 833-GOT-TONY. And, and, and still, if there's anybody who wants to uh, try and prove the argument that Trump shouldn't be allowed on the ballot in Colorado because the Supreme Court's hearing it, I'd love to hear your thoughts about why your feelings mean uh, that the people of Colorado shouldn't have a say in who the presidential candidate is. I, 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 I cannot wait to hear your argument. I will let you have it in full. 833-GOT-TONY. For Senator Cinema, what keeps people away from the border? Those were your words. Is it a fence? You know, I brought up landmines. Is it that? I did that yesterday, and people were like, how dare you? And I was like, first of all, calm down. Secondly, you can't deny that would be a way to stop the people from coming across the border like North and South Korea. And third, if you don't want that, I'm totally fine with it. What's your idea? But what we have now doesn't work. So so maybe people shouldn't just get so worked up. They should understand what's being said to them. But how are you going to stop people? That, Senator Cinema is the question, and that you provide no answer to. You bring no answer to that fundamental question. And if we are to say that the border deal would be somewhat like the Title 42 authority we had during COVID, can I ask, why did we get rid of the Title 42 authority? Why did we not just keep this going? And why can't we just use Title 8, which was utilized, I mean, going back to some of our original border stuff, I think in the 30s, in the 1930s, why not just utilize Title 8? So aren't you stating, Senator Cinema, that our issue is not the type of legislation, but rather the actual utilization and enforcement of the legislation, which is exactly the conversation many of us in America have been having. If you want remain in Mexico, you must actually state you remain in Mexico. It's just that easy. And why would anybody be opposed to the idea of remain in Mexico? You don't get to come into the country until you are approved. But what a statement that says you can't even approach the border. It means that when those two systems get full, the detention beds and the supervision, instead of letting the system get backed up and just releasing people, we instead say, nope, we're closed. No one gets to even approach the border. Let's do this again. That's not what happens. You're not going to be able to stop people from uh, approaching the border. You haven't engaged an answer to that question. But let's go back one more time, shall we? Four to 5,000 people get to willy-nilly come into the country each day. It means that when those two systems get full, the detention beds and the supervision... Instead of letting the system get backed up and... Can I ask why we have to wait till the system gets full? How about we wait till the system approaches full? How about we wait till the system approaches half? How about we cut the system in half and that way instead of 5,000, it's only 2,500? Look at me. I'm getting towards a deal already. Look at me. It is... It is out of control, out of control that you think that this is an argument. This is not an argument that favors your position, Senator Cinema. This is the argument that favors voting no on the legislation. 
And yes, they voted no, not even on the legislation. They voted no on listening to the bill and having a debate about it. You didn't even get to cloture. You didn't get close to the 60 votes. They forget that five Democrats voted against this thing. Sanders and, and, and Elizabeth Warren, because they don't believe in a border anyway. They forget the Democrats voted against this thing. Where was the solidarity? Where was the belief in a, in a strong border? None. Absolutely none. But I think the strangest statement yesterday came from Senator James Lankford. Now, three things, maybe four, maybe only two. Who knows? Um, I do believe Mitch McConnell hung him out to dry. And I do believe that Mitch McConnell needs to be replaced. I believe that uh, Ted Cruz was absolutely accurate in this. Is it time for Mitch McConnell to go? I think it is. I think it is, too. I believe many people have felt this way for a long time. And while I will miss him. I love cocaine! Mitch. I will miss the guy who prevented Merrick Garland from being a Supreme Court justice, and we are all better off for it. This level of misplay, man, that's something. This is the legislation? Good gosh. I mean, Senator Sinema, in my view, blows it up herself. But in a speech given by James Langford yesterday, who I think is a decent dude, I think he handled this wrong. But I think when you listen to him talking about banking and regional banks and speaking to uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, I think he's been exceptional. He's never going to be the fire breather. That's okay. Not everybody has to be. And I don't need him to live and breathe MAGA. I don't need any of that crap. I simply need him to recognize that this isn't going to be something that works out and he doesn't have to put himself out on that limb And certainly, I think that Mitch McConnell, as has been reported, knew everything that was going on and then turned his back on him. I think that's unforgivable. But James Langford said this. In fact, I had a popular commentator four weeks ago that I talked to that told me flat out, before they knew any of the contents of the bill, any of the contents, nothing was out at that point, that told me flat out, If you try to move a bill that solves the border crisis during this presidential year, I will do whatever I can to destroy you. Because I do not want you to solve this during the presidential election. By the way, they have been faithful to their promise and have done everything they can to destroy me in the past several weeks. I'm asking a question. What's their name? I want to know their name. I can't stand stuff like this. Name names. Someone actually told you, if you pass anything on border security, because if it's fixed, oh, that might hurt Trump in the election, I'll destroy you? That is such a nonsense proposition. The border needs to be taken care of now, regardless of whether Trump's in office. And I don't keep the problem around to help Trump get into office. That's nuts. That is a ridiculous concept. Name names. Who was it? For the record, it wasn't me. It was not me.
um, because because when I uh, tell you I'm going to do something, it is not a threat. I'm doing it, and I'll put my name to it. Why do you think when I end like like spot conversations on, on the show, I always say I'm Tony Katz, right? I I I I end it because it's like I'm like signing my my name to it. You don't have to question who said that. I'm letting you damn well know I said it. Those are my words. Boom. I want to know who said it. I want to know who's engaged in this threat. Why would anybody threaten you? What did they say? Can we can we look at whether or not we think that's a threat? What's their name? Otherwise, talk like that. That's unnecessary. It sounds silly. Name names or don't say anything. This is Tony Katz today. I'm Tony Katz. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. prevent insurrectionists from holding federal office. But obviously Congress has enacted statutes, uh, including one still in effect, Section 2383 of Title 18 prohibits insurrection. It's a federal criminal statute. And if you're convicted of that, you are, it says, shall be disqualified from holding any office. And so there is a federal statute on the books, but um, President Trump has not been charged with that. So what, what are we to make of that? That's Justice Brett Kavanaugh speaking to the Colorado lawyers. This was the lawyer was Jason Murray arguing on behalf of Colorado voters. He hasn't been charged with insurrection. You're saying he can't be on the Colorado ballot because he incited an insurrection. You want to square the circle? As Jonathan Turley uh, has pointed out, and really we're going to be able to break this down more tomorrow, that the, the Colorado side expected, you know, maybe like a cool reception, maybe a cold reception from uh, from the justices, as he described it, this is just downright galatial. Yeah, it happens when you're arguing absolute crap. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you, but if you want to argue why Trump shouldn't be on the Colorado ballot, I'm giving you the opportunity. 833-468-8669, 833-GOT-TONY. Bring the argument. I will let you give it in full. I'm right here, kitten. Right here. Here, meanwhile, President Trump uh, making a, a statement. An insurrection caused by Nancy Pelosi. This was an insurrection, if it was an insurrection, which there were no guns, there were no anything except for the fact that they shot Ashley Babbitt. Somebody from police force shot Ashley Babbitt. So unnecessary, so sad, so horrible. But there were no guns, there were no anything. But if you take a look at my words, Right after, you take a look at my speech from the Rose Garden, which was very shortly after, or you take a look at my, I'm only on truth now, but at that time we were tweeting and I was on Twitter. If you take a look at those five or six tweets, you will see very beautiful, very heartwarming statements. Go home, the police are doing their job, etc., etc. Beautiful statements. If you see my statement made in the Rose Garden, I think you have to watch that. Because today they said the words of Trump. 
Now, if you take a look at the words of Democrats over the last period of time, look at Schumer's statement about the Supreme Court on the steps of the Supreme Court. He sounded like a mob boss. Take a look at uh, any of them. Take a look at any. We, we put together a tape of vicious, violent statements made by Democrats. Nobody brings that up. Take a look at Maxine Waters and the vicious statements that she made. I didn't do that. I said peacefully and patriotically. The speech was called peacefully and patriotically. It's pe peacefully and patriotically. He said I said bad statement. It was the exact opposite. So I think you should take a look at the statements that I made uh, before and after, and you'll see a whole, a whole different uh, dialogue. Now, that's Trump uh, talking about what was just happening in this case, Colorado, trying to keep him off the ballot. And of course, um, it goes to the Supreme Court, and this is what we've been uh, listening to. But that what he's talking about was Schumer. Uh, was the whole idea about the whirlwind? The whirlwind conversation is a great one. I mean, you want to talk about just a straight-up threat. And jobs were coming Oh, no, excuse back. me, I Mr. Was President. I'm, I'm not, uh, I'll get back to you in a second, sir. Thank you. The threat. Now, we stand here today because behind me, inside the walls of this court... The Supreme Court is hearing arguments, as you know, for the first major abortion right cases since Justices Kavanaugh and Justices Gorsuch came to the bench. We know what's at stake. Over the last three years, women's reproductive rights have come under attack in a way we haven't seen in modern history. From Louisiana to Missouri to Texas, Republican legislatures are waging a war on women, all women, and they're taking away fundamental rights. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. Well, that's not a threat. That's not a threat at all. Why, who could even think of taking it that way? Or such, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind, and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. Totally rational. 100%. I wasn't, I wasn't going to do this much on it. Um, but I, I it, it so much is breaking. I, I figure I, sh I should share now. Uh, 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 Producer Carl is Jalen still on the line? Jalen, uh, I, I had said out loud, if you think that Trump should be kept off the ballot in Colorado because of of, of feelings, remember he's not been charged with insurrection, has not been adjudicated guilty of an insurrection. I want to hear your argument, Jalen. I appreciate you calling in. Give me the argument for keeping Donald Trump off the ballot in Colorado. 
Uh, well, my only argument is uh, that every every decision that's ever been made, ever, in any situation has been made mostly off feelings. And even if the decision has not been made off feelings, the decision or the, the structure that's been put in to make that decision was made off of feelings. So I think that we should definitely take some feelings in a little bit of consideration. But I don't know. Well, I'm just a... I'm just a stupid ass guy. I don't. I don't know if that's true, right? I don't think you should say that about yourself in the slightest. Um, but but here, and I thank you for the phone call. Um, that's. I, I don't think any part of that is true. As a matter of fact, I think we have a system that's really predicated on not being about emotions. If we were to take just the House and the Senate, for example, uh, the the House is elected every two years. The representation is very close to the people. And that uh, is where legislation is supposed to come from. That's where these ideas, hey, my constituents want this, and comes to the fore. The Senate, I mean, for years it had this reputation and, and this 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 uh, expression as being the cooling saucer, right? That's where the passions calm down and the conversations come up. Remember, senators, as we're supposed to do it, not through the bastardization of the direct election of senators in 1913, but they're supposed to be uh, appointed by state legislatures, again, having more local control. But the reason they have a six-year term, they don't have to keep running for re-election every two years, is so they have a little more distance and they can engage in more focus. Why they're referred to as the world's most deliberative body. So they can discuss these things out without the emotion. That is the purposeful setup of our situation, of our nation. Secondly, to state that, you know, most everything happens because of feelings, and if the, even if they don't, it's still feelings. There, there's, there's nothing in there for me to work with. And, in, in that you, you, I think you w- would recognize after a, a, a an observation of your own words that you're not making an argument. That you're saying that feelings matter. I don't disagree that feelings matter. I think feelings matter when dis- when trying to figure out what flavor of ice cream to eat. I think feelings matter when you're trying to figure out whether you should buy a Porsche or an Audi. I, I feelings matter in in that or 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 for me, do you buy a Lincoln Continental or a Ford Bronco? And I'm not talking about the new ones. I'm talking old school. Although lately I can do the new ones as well. Feelings matter in that case. Do you want a Rolex or do you want a Patek Philippe? Feelings matter. Traeger or Rectech? Feelings matter. Blondes or brunettes? Feelings matter. Whether or not Donald Trump could be on the ballot in Colorado isn't feelings. No part of it is feelings. As a matter of fact, how one how could one possibly run a country on feelings? You know who runs on feelings? Dictators. Dictators run on feelings. That's who. As a matter of fact, I think history can show this. History can prove this. If the president is upset with another nation and wants to bomb them out of existence, they are reminded, those presidents, that Congress declares war. 
Do you know why Congress declares war? To keep the emotional president from engaging the emotional response. Because emotions, wait for it, don't matter. The problem is that there's a difference between emotions don't matter and that emotions exist and are real. Because of course they do. I don't argue, Jalen, and I appreciate the phone call very much. I don't argue that you may not think that, that or you may think that, that, that Trump is a, a giant jerk face and shouldn't be president. And you might have be very emotional about that. Now, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth there, but we can apply this to anybody. You might feel that way. In no place do I tell you not to feel that way. You are more than welcome to feel that way. I couldn't stop you. I wouldn't dream of stopping you. I don't think it's helpful, but I could not stop you. It sure as hell doesn't make policy. Your emotions, my emotions, they don't make policy. If my emotions made policy, whoo, first of all, everything would be awesome. Unbelievable. There would be a Bronco in every garage and two cigars in every pocket. It would be glorious. If if my emotions made policy, vegetarians would be forced to eat brisket. It would be a dream. And you know what? They would be happy, maybe for the first time in their lives. <laughs> Could you imagine? Which is exactly what you should do. Because this emotional conversation is exactly how one should address First Amendment conversations. The First Amendment is not for speech that you love, it's for speech that you hate. And it's not for people that you love, it's for people that you despise. That's, that's the measure. So when you take a look at college students, and these college students are all about the idea that you shouldn't be uh, uh, allowed to... Uh, to speak on a college campus if you say something that's going to hurt somebody's feelings. And you could stop uh, people from speaking on college campuses. And this conservative, that conservative, what they're saying isn't nice. And you, you poll these college students and who are grown-ups just in, in levels of awfulness because they've never once had control of their emotions. And they believe that it's okay to shout somebody down or to engage in some level of physical activity to keep someone from speaking, which is, of course, meaning violence. They don't believe in a free society. They believe in a dictatorial society. An emotional society is a dictatorial society. A free society means that you have the right not to listen. You could even protest, but shout them down, physically harass. You don't have any control of your emotions and you think your emotions should matter. I think your emotions should be put in a box. And if your emotions are going to spill out into some kind of physical uh, repression of somebody's rights, I think that you should be emotionally hip-checked into a corner and fall down. Because I support the liberty agenda that allows people to speak freely. And yes, we put certain restrictions on things. If you're going to speak and call for a physical attack on somebody, we would say no to that. We would say no to that. Liberty society being different from a freedom society, but in either case, an emotional society is a bad society. So I, I appreciate you, 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 you calling in. I do. But this idea that, you know, everything's based on feelings, no. 
No, it, it's based on uh, on how does one lead the most liberty focused life with giving up the least amount of rights and having the most opportunity to be left alone. And honestly, anything other than that is just sizzling hot garbage. I'm Tony Katz. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I swear to you, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse. But this is too great. This conversation about emotions. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. In Indianapolis, there's a failed newspaper called the Indy Star. And when I say failed, it's because it gets smaller and smaller year after year. They have shed columnists, shed uh, people who could actually do the job. They have kept the most ideological. And the Indy Star, when they want to do reporting, they're the people who broke the Larry Nasser story. That doctor was working with the USA gymnasts and abusing all of them. Disgusting. They broke that story. It was incredible reporting. But the vast majority of what they do is, is wokeism. It's awful. And the readership, uh, from what I know, is down, although I certainly don't have the numbers. But certainly, the paper itself is non-existent these days. But they wrote a story about the Indiana governor, Eric Holcomb, who joined a whole bunch of governors, 13 of them, down at the southern border. They joined Greg Abbott to talk about what's going on at the border. A sports reporter who uh, once uh, we, we were actually both invited to a, a concert and we were both in a suite. And from the story I was told from a friend, uh, he was upset that I was in the suite. And I better not say anything or he was going to punch me in the face. Now, I didn't hear him say it. A friend of mine tells me that story. I leave it there. His name is Greg Doyle. The star sports reporter. He sees this tweet from the Indy Star about Governor Holcomb joining Governor Greg Abbott at the southern border, and he writes, Thank goodness the Native Americans didn't surround Plymouth Rock with razor wire, or lots of uh, maybe us would be in Europe. If the Native Americans had razor wire, they would have put it up to keep other people out. What are you talking about? If in the, if the, in the, in the revolution... If uh, the those fighting for the U.S. had uh, AR-15s, they would have used them. Now they would have used actual real weapons you use in a war. See this? This is emotional pablum. We're wrong to protect the border? Oh, the Native Americans would have kept us out. This isn't an argument. This is what emotionally stunted people say when they have no other argument. The border should be protected. You should be opposed to child sex trafficking, and you should be opposed to drugs pouring into the country. Of course one should have a strong border. The Native Americans and their razor wire, if they had it, they would have used it, but they didn't. I'm Tony Katz. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you. Live 
from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. That is protesting or demanding for a ceasefire. Let's be honest here. Why aren't you protesting to bring them all home right now? Why aren't you demanding that Hamas surrenders as well as well, too? Bring all of these people back home now and this and stop pretending that this is some kind of equivalence here now. This is like bring them back. That's Senator John Fetterman. I love the people who are like, oh, my gosh, the uh, the the stroke cured him. He's cured. I tell you, he's. He's not. I'm here to tell you, in case you were curious, John Fetterman still lives on the political left. Did you hear him talking about the border deal? Your position on the border deal? What's your take? Are you going to vote for that legislation? My position on the the border? Yeah, and the deal that uh, was reached in the Senate. Yeah, well, I've said this before. It's like it's time for the GOP to get their balls out of Trump's desk and stand for border security. Just in case you were curious as to where John Fetterman was. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on? Find everything at TonyKatz.com, 833-468-8669. He's not a conservative, but where he's right, he's right, and we should say so. And he is the most vocal Democrat. Engaged in a conversation against these other progressive nonsense merchants like Senator Elizabeth Warren, who writes Prime Minister Netanyahu and his right wing government have failed to get the hostages released and have killed nearly 30,000 Palestinians. No more blank checks for Netanyahu. We need to condition aid, resume the ceasefire and advance peace through a two state solution. You worthless bigot. How many of those quote-unquote Palestinians are actually terrorists? Because Netanyahu says 20,000. Secondly, it's not just a right-wing government. Ooh, scare quotes. It's a coalition government. This is how Israel feels. You hear Netanyahu saying absolute victory is what we're after. Absolute victory and good. Good. But a two-state solution with whom? With Hamas? You want a two-state solution with a terrorist organization that wants to kill you? My God, these these progressives are completely unashamed of being the Jew-hating bigots that they are. They are what they are. There's no debate. There's no question. The only question is, how can anybody who uh, has the same blood running through their veins uh, as, as I do, how could they vote for these progressives? I mean, that's got to be a question John Fetterman asks himself every day. How can the people that I am aligned with believe these things? Now, I guess you could say that about a lot of people on a lot of different subjects. But if you are moved more by abortion than your future, which I guess is one and the same because if you're somebody moved by abortion and demanding abortion, having an abortion on demand, you're not really interested in your future. Now, are you? That's a that that's a meta one. You're going to have to go deep for that one, people. Right right there. I guess you're okay with the, uh, with the genocide of Jews. I guess you're down because Elizabeth Warren is, and I'm saying that she is. 
I'm stating this as a clear, uh, without question statement. This is the argument being made by people like her, by people like Bernie Sanders. All of these progressives, democratic socialists, they're communists. They all have the same mentality, the same mathematics, the same bigotry. Constantly and continually, exactly the same. So when you hear things like this from uh, Secretary Blinken, where uh, the the Secretary of State is engaged in, um, well, I don't know how you would describe this this level of, of, of madness. You tell me. Israelis were dehumanized in the most horrific way on October 7th. The hostages have been dehumanized every day since. But that cannot be a license to dehumanize others. The overwhelming majority of people in Gaza had nothing to do with the attacks of October 7th. And the families in Gaza whose survival depends on deliveries of aid from Israel are just like our families. Their mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, want to earn a decent living, send their kids to school, have a normal life. That's who they are. That's what they want. And we cannot, we must not lose sight of that. Demand Hamas surrender. Demand Hamas give up the hostages. Why don't you do that? Israel should fight until Hamas is gone. Because that is the only way peace could be achieved. And someone's going to say, I'm a warmonger. And I'm going to say, I don't care what you said. I think Israel has the right to exist. And I think Israel has the right to defend itself. My name is Tony Katz. I'm a Zionist. I am who I am. I'm not apologizing. I lose sponsors for it. Goodbye. People don't want to listen. See you later. Although I haven't found that to be the case in either direction. Hamas is a terrorist organization. And the people who side with the terrorist organization are wrong. Now, some people are going to say I'm wrong. This is why I have said from the beginning, quite literally since October 8th, because the attack happened on October 7th, where Hamas terrorists murdered 1,300 and raped women and set children on fire. Let them fight it out. Let them fight it out. The United States wants to apply pressure to Israel, saying they're dehumanizing uh, Palestinians. It's nonsense. People like Rashida Tlaib just want to cry while supporting the terrorist organization and the killing of Jews. Elizabeth Warren can't figure out how to say, hey, Hamas, give up. Let them fight it out. Let them fight it out. Let's see who wins. There is nothing else to provide to this conversation. Let them fight it out. But it's imperative, imperative that we see exactly where these people are. And these people who claim to be progressive and then they'll call themselves democratic socialists, they are the the enemy of, of humanity. Look at the things they favor. Look at the policies they favor. Look at the destruction they favor. When I say the enemies of humanity, well, communism is, of course, the enemy of humanity. And all of this is the offspring of communism.
every last bit of it, because it's one and the same. Israel gets attacked, shame on Israel for trying to destroy its enemy. It's a murderous enemy. Well, Tony, why do you think Hamas exists in the first place? Interesting argument. Counter-argument, kill them. Now you say to me, Tony, that's terrible. You're no better than Hamas. Well, first, nice for you to notice that Hamas is a terrorist organization. You're, you're wrong, though. But if you want to say it, I'm saying, okay, everybody's terrible. Hamas isn't better. Israel isn't better. Let them fight it out. Let's see who wins. That's where we're at, right? Some people don't know how to pick a side. They don't know how to pick a side. <laughs> this is, for example, excuse me there, got a little cough right. Uh, this is uh, the, the, the Tucker Carlson uh, Vladimir Putin story. This, this interview going on. And that's, that has people completely, completely crazy. It has the press up in arms that Tucker Carlson got an interview with Vladimir Putin. That Tucker got the interview and they didn't. Oh, Tucker's not a journalist. Oh, Tucker is not this. Tucker is terrible. Hillary Clinton. And what does that tell you about Tucker Carlson and right-wing media and also Vladimir Putin? Well, it shows me what I think we've all known. He's what's called a useful idiot. I mean, if you actually read translations of what's being said on Russian media, they make fun of him. I mean, he's like a puppy dog. You know, he somehow has, after having been fired from so many outlets in the United States, he, uh, I would not be surprised uh, if he emerges with a contract with a Russian outlet because he is a useful idiot. No one would know better than Hillary Clinton. MSNBC is interviewing Hillary Clinton like she has something to offer in this conversation. Well, Tony, she was Secretary of State. True, tell me how that reset button went. He got fired from a, a previous outlet. And what does that have to do with anything? What does that have to do with anything? What does that have to do with him doing an interview? He can't do an interview because he got fired from previous outlets? That's, that's a ridiculous construct. Let's uh, utilize that same math. You lost a presidential election... You don't get to talk anymore. You lied about Trump and Russia and set him up. You don't get to talk anymore. What, the same rules don't apply? I thought the same rules should apply. Two things to look at here. First, of course Tucker Carlson is allowed to do an interview with Vladimir Putin. Of course he is. When Aaron Burnett at CNN says, "Well, here's the here's the problem. Look at look at how uh, the, the 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 media in 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 uh, Russia. I said, look how the the Kremlin speaks of him." We receive many requests for interviews with the president. There is no desire to communicate with such media outlets, and there is hardly any point in it. There is hardly any benefit from it. He has a position that differs from the others. He, Carlson, has a position that differs from the others. The position being that he doesn't support uh, 
us being engaged with Ukraine. I do. I do. And this is where the, 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 the two subjects, I think, exist. The first is the idea of the interview. They've interviewed all sorts of terrible people throughout history. What's wrong with an interview with Vladimir Putin? The answer is nothing. It's that the left is upset that it's not their person. They're upset that it's not Anderson Cooper. They're upset that it's not Christiane Amapur. They're upset that it's not Joy Reid. You know, they're people, official people, real journalists. As if somehow they get to make that call. Real journalist. I have no issue with Tucker Carlson doing an interview. I'll wait till I see the interview. I have read some transcripts or things that are allegedly transcripts. I'll wait till I see the interview. Because I will say that, right, part one is about doing the interview. Of course he can do it. We don't understand that Vladimir Putin is a liar, that he's a KGB agent through and through, that he hates America with everything in him and would do anything in his power to destroy the United States no matter how long it took. Anybody who thinks differently, I would laugh at. I saw somebody post, I think I may have discussed this yesterday, where they're like, uh, Russia is not a threat to NATO. Of course Russia is a threat to NATO. This isn't a debate. The words are clear. Of course he is. I am, I w- I am stunned by somebody who would make a, a counter argument with, with the facts so clearly in their face. Now, you may not think that, that Ukraine is worthwhile. You don't want to support Ukraine, okay, that, that's fine, that's a position. I think we should send Ukraine bullets, that's fine. That is different than whether or not you actually think Vladimir Putin is telling you the truth, or Vladimir Putin is somebody who can be seen as an ally. You're out of your mind. Now that's the part of the interview I'm waiting for. That's the part of the interview I want to see. Right? If, if he's asking questions, that's one thing. If he's trying to paint uh, Putin as some kind of really nice guy who's just misunderstood, that would be something else. And I'm not accusing Tucker of that. But it is remarkable to watch these people be opposed to the idea of an interview, so much so that there are European nations thinking of preventing um, uh, Tucker Carlson from traveling. You want a travel ban on a guy who conducted an interview? Good Lord. You want to talk about some authoritarian nonsense. Interviews are good. And we get to decide whether the interview itself was good. And we'll get that opportunity, one would think, soon enough. I'm Tony Katz. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Dow is down 44. The Nasdaq is up 37. And Elon Musk is uh, tweeting. Or is it posting? Tweeting is just so much better to say. I don't know why he calls it X. It's just nonsense. Tony Katz, 
Tony Katz today. Does Disney have quotas? Again, I, I I look at this this post from Elon Musk, and he writes, an anonymous source just sent me this from Disney. It is mandatory institutionalized racism and sexism. And what it is, it's a list of inclusion standards. On-screen representation that you must have at least three of the following five. You must have, uh, for example... Characters, 50% or more of regular and recurring written characters must come from underrepresented groups. The actors, 50% or more of regular and recurring actors come from underrepresented groups. So for the characters and the actors, secondary characters, meaningful inclusion of underrepresented groups as secondary or more minor on-screen individuals, including background actors. Series uh, premise, meaningful integration of underrepresented groups in overall themes and narratives and episodic storytelling, ongoing meaningful integration of underrepresented groups and episodic themes and narratives. What they're telling you is, you can't have a vision, you have to have all these things. I wouldn't care if the cast was all black, all Asian, all Hispanic, all German, all uh, Australian, all gay, all Christian, it wouldn't, is it a good story? The only thing that matters is, is it, is it a good story? You've got all the inclusion in the world, for example, in Ms. Marvel, the, the, the TV uh, show there on Disney. It's awful. Got through one episode with, with my youngest who wanted to see it, and we were like, this is terrible. It was terrible. Does it matter how much inclusion you have? If, if the movie itself isn't good? What what is the movie Mulholland Falls? I always I always rem- misremember the title, but um, I'm always uh, focused on on the movie. It was with uh, Nick Nolte is in it. Yeah, Nick Nolte, Jennifer Colony, uh, Connolly, Chaz Palminteri, Michael Madsen, Chris Penn, Melanie Griffith, Andrew McCarthy, Treat Williams, John Malkovich. That's a cast. That's a cast. It was a $29 million budget back in the day. What year was this? 1996 is when this was released. $29 million budget did $11.5 million at the box office. It doesn't matter how much star power you have. It matters if it's a good movie. Should we even discuss Ishtar? Ishtar is the great example. Warren Beatty, Dustin Hoffman. Charles Grodin, oh, oh, Charles Grodin. God, that man made me laugh. $51 million budget, 1987. $51 million. Box office, $14.4 million. It doesn't matter. It has to be good. So are these inclusion standards at Disney legit? That's the question Elon's asking. It's a question certainly I would ask, but you could believe it, right? That's the crazy part. You would believe this to be true, and I have no reason to think it isn't, by the way. What they focus on doesn't matter. Make the entire cast black. We don't care. Make it interesting. Tell a story. Make them all white. Make them all this. Make them all that. Make good stories. Tell good stories. That's it. 
That's the secret sauce. I didn't... There's nothing else to say. This is Tony Katz today. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I was happy to see uh, that there has been more regarding the attacks from Iran that killed three American soldiers. And, of course, you have five uh, U.S. service members killed uh, in, in, in a helicopter crash that took place. It's an awful, awful story. Five Marines near San Diego. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's just... There are training exercises. There are things that happen. There was a storm taking place, as was reported. It was a CH-53E Super Stallion helicopter going off course Tuesday as it was returning to Miramar in San Diego. It was uh, engaged in a training exercise, and I think it's pronounced Creech, or it might be Cretch Air Force Base near Las Vegas. It's, it's, a, it's an awful story. It's awful. And these things do happen. And while there is many times where I'm discussing the ineptness of the military and really military leaders, these training exercises, sometimes bad things happen. And I I wish I had a better word for it. But when we don't properly respond to Iran killing three soldiers, that's about a failure of leadership that cannot be condoned. It simply cannot be excused. It simply cannot be uh, accepted. The first levels of attacks, or responses, I should say, from uh, the United States, I thought were weak. Just like I have thought the bombing of the Houthi rebels in Yemen by the United States and the United Kingdom have been weak. The Houthi rebels try and take over shipping lanes. They're going to control the seas. They're going to uh, hijack cargo uh, ships. And our response is to wait two months before bombing some kind of radio station? No. Ruin them. And let the world know that the seas belong to us, which is a hard thing to do when you don't have a proper navy, which is why you need three me, 340 ships. Some people might say 310. Uh, you can have this argument amongst professionals. I'll let them argue it. But you can't have what we have. You can't be under 300. You have to have total domination of the water. The Spanish proved it. The British proved it. You can do anything with an Air Force. You can drone up this, that, and the other. You must get the people. You must get the drones from point A to point B. You must be able to allow the cargo to move. A Navy is what you need. This isn't debate. It's just It's just a fact. And right now we've got Houthi rebels backed by Iran controlling the navigable seas, the Red Sea, shipping through the Suez Canal, through the Straits of Hormuz, we're out of our heads. Ruin these people. Teach the lesson. Considering the Houthi rebels are backed by Iran, which killed three of our service members. And we engage in a first response. (laughs) That doesn't do nothing. 
Ungat. We now engage again and kill one of the commanders of a militia. And they believe that it's the militia that's responsible for the attack on the American base that killed three Americans. Understand that when they say militia, they'll talk about militia group this and militia group that. They are discussing Iran. There is no difference. We had Major Mike Lyons on uh, the show, and, and his point was retired United States Army, West Point graduate. And his point about the militias was it's not like Iran sends them a, hey, go do this thing. That's not what happens. What happens is here's the money. Have a nice day. Go get them. And by by M, as in the go get them, we mean the big Satan, United States. Do what you got to do. Maybe they don't always like what gets done. Maybe it creates them a little bit of heartache or headache. Maybe that's all true. But that's how this works. So the the idea that somehow the militia is different than Iran or these groups are different than Iran is not true. It is Iran, and Iran must be held accountable. The target was Abu Bakr al-Saidi. And now the, 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 the group has said, set your clocks for revenge time. What? Set your clocks for revenge time? What kind of Netflix special starring Adrian Zemed is this? Set your clocks for revenge time. I don't know, is that the way they would say it? Like, like you just, just like picture him saying, set your clocks, and then pulling off the sunglasses for revenge time. Like, it's one of those. It's one of those. Boom, let's send another bomb to him. You say to me, Tony, you're callous. You have no regard for human life. You're playing this like a game. What do you mean playing this like a, like a game? I don't think any of this is a game. I think all of this is outrageously serious. And requires strength. It requires vigor. It requires attention. Which I do not believe Joe Biden has. Yesterday, I was clear when I said Joe Biden can no longer be president of the United States. Joe Biden is not okay. Joe Biden doesn't know where he is. Joe Biden is talking to dead people. Joe Biden is talking to dead people. He can't figure out a way off a stage. He can't figure out how to complete a sentence. He can't. And we should stop thinking that Joe Biden is all right. In the latest example, not the example regarding Mitterrand. The example regarding Mitterrand is it goes as follows. Francois Mitterrand, former president of France. And Francois Mitterrand died in 1996 yet joe biden tells a story about how he spoke with mitterrand soon after becoming president you know right 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 after i was elected i went to what they call a g7 meeting all the nato leaders it was in it was in the south of england and i sat down and i said america's back and mitterrand from germany i mean from france looked at me and said, uh, said, you know, 
Why, why, how, how long are you back for? Never mind how pathetic the, 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 the joke is and how poorly delivered and all the rest. Mitterrand died in 96. And Joe Biden believes he had a conversation with him. Then we get the story. I first saw it from Jack Lee Heinrich over at Fox News. That Biden claims he discussed January 6th with Helmut Kohl. Helmut Kohl was the chancellor of Germany. Helmut Kohl died in 2017. You did not discuss January 6th with Helmut Kohl. You may very well have discussed it with Angela Merkel, the former chancellor of Germany. But you did not discuss it with Helmut Kohl. Now you say to me, hey, it's still a chancellor of Germany. He just got it confused. Stop it. Let us stop denying what is clear and what is fundamental, what is easily understood. Let us stop denying what is clearly understood. Joe Biden is not okay. Nope, take that back. That's too nice. Joe Biden is a demented old man in the White House. I'm not interested in being nice, and I'm disgusted with the people who won't say it. The Democratic Party won't admit that the guy has a problem. Only Dean Phillips, the the congressman from Minnesota who's also running for president as a Democrat, the guy's not okay. He's talking to dead people, and he has to be removed from office by the 25th Amendment. And I know what you're saying. You're saying, you mean Kamala? (laughs) Yes. She's the vice president of the United States. Yes, she's a dope. Yes, she's incompetent. I agree with all of those things. But she knows who's alive and who's dead, and the president is incapacitated. Now what? Tony, stop it. We got to get through to the election. He'll be so easy to beat. Look, um, uh, maybe we're we're different and and maybe we're not. And and maybe you're just so desperate to get out of this hellscape with Biden that you'll do anything. I won't. I get that Biden's terrible. I get that he needs to be replaced. We need someone better. And yes, for all of Trump's issues, Trump is better as a president than Joe Biden. Oh, but uh, Trump is slipping. I'm not saying Trump hasn't had a slippage or two, but that's not the subject. Now, is it? You might have to invoke the 25th Amendment on him. This is what happens when you vote for people that are 900 years old. I'm going to say again, we could have had DeSantis. This isn't about Trump. This isn't about the election. This is about now, today. We're not safe. We're not okay. We are in a dangerous spot. And if you want it to be all politics all the time and keep him in, in, in office because he's an easier beat, I'm sorry, that's insane. That's insane. Let me give you equally as insane. Equally as insane is this post I got. I was discussing this on my morning show. I thought it was important to bring it back. This post that I got on... um. On, on X. And I had stated this about Joe Biden, that the 25th Amendment needs to be invoked and he needs to be removed from office. The cabinet has to do this. Don't say but Trump or we can wait till the election or any other nonsense. Biden has to go now. 
I wrote, as we've been saying, POTUS isn't capable of leading the country. He's a danger to America and the world because his mind is clearly altered. I said the words. The response I got, and you can see it if you follow me on X, at Tony Katz, the response was, as I've said before, you go F yourself. You are a walking heart attack waiting to happen. She seems nice. No, no, you definitely, you definitely want to date her. Um, I, I, I must admit to you that that is exactly the response you would expect. A response that does not engage the issue, but rather exposes the ideology. And I am not interested in their ideology. I couldn't give a good holy damn. You want to call me fat? I mean, it's happened before, sometimes with poor consequences. But okay, I get it. That's what people do. They don't have minds. They don't have the ability to think. They don't have the ability uh, to share, to, to utilize a voice in a good way. And, and, and this is what they do. What am I supposed to do? Be worried about it? Bothered by it? I don't have, I don't have time for that. But once you're done calling me names, once you're done telling me I'm a walking heart attack, once you're done with all of that, What does that do about the danger that's in the White House right now, which is an incompetent, possibly demented, and doesn't know where he is president who's talking to dead people? What did your insults matter? It doesn't change reality. That's the difference between them and us. They think that this is a response. We think the problem still exists. Making fun of me, attacking me, trying to diminish me doesn't change the fact that Joe Biden is talking to dead people. Why don't you care more about the country? The people saying, Tony, be quiet, we need Trump to run against Biden, I believe are wrong. Isn't it equally wrong to say, how dare you notice what's going on with Biden? Honestly, I think that's worse. Because at least the Trump people are saying, we know that's the reality, but we just want to win. Right? And that's an ends justify the means, and I'm not 100% there. I've never been that way. These people, they, they, they don't care. As long as they have power, they don't care. Because they don't care that Joe Biden is actually running things, as long as their team is running things. One of the, one of the best scenes in, in the show, The West Wing, which, uh, don't get me wrong, I get the lefty politics, but what Aaron Sorkin wrote was, was, was brilliant. What Tommy Shalami was, was directing, it was excellent stuff. It was poetry at times. It was musical sometimes. Uh, is uh, the, the reporter, Danny. And it was when uh, President Bartlett is, is shot and he's under anesthesia. And so the vice president is in charge and there's supposed to be a letter. And there wasn't a letter written, you know, removing the president and the vice president having the power. And uh, the, the question that Danny asks the press secretary, C.J. Craig, is who is in charge? And C.J. Craig goes, uh, the secretary of, uh, of state, the, the, the secretary of defense, this one. And Danny's line is, no, 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 you're telling me who could have been in charge or who was supposed to be in charge. I want to know who was in charge. That line is excellent. Because isn't that exactly the way we feel about Joe Biden right now? We watch this administration move and maneuver. We watch these things. We watch him come out of, of the helicopter. He's no longer even saluting the Marines that, that are standing guard. Who's in charge? Because after watching Biden all these years and these last couple of things, 
Are we really making an argument that it's him? Are we really and truly making an argument that Joe Biden is in charge of his faculties enough to think that he's actually in charge? That dog won't hunt. I'm saying I don't buy it and I don't believe it. And I'm saying that this person on X who decides to make fun of me like it matters doesn't believe it, but she doesn't care. She doesn't care who's in charge as long as it's her people. And I want to know like you want to know who's in charge. Because reality states that it's not Joe Biden. And he has to be removed from office. And the 25th Amendment should be invoked. And if we had leadership that gave a damn about the country, that would have happened yesterday. I'm Tony Katz. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I noted that Adriana Kugler, who is a Federal Reserve governor, so we're talking about the Fed, um, made this statement about inflation showing solid signs of slowing down, but she herself not ready to start lowering interest rates. And the headline caught my eye because it said Fed Governor Kugler backs caution on rates. And then Kashkari uh, over there at the Minneapolis Fed expects only two or three rate cuts. And I think people looked at that and said, oh, the rate cuts are coming. I don't think that's what they're saying. I know that's what they said in December, and then you look at the minutes of the, of the Fed meeting, and the minutes don't comport with what they said publicly. I think what they want, what they desire, their fantasy is two or three rate cuts. I don't think we should rely on the fact that that's going to happen. Because if I was a betting man, I'm not betting on that. And what happens if there are three rate cuts and they're each an eighth of a point? That's different than if they're each a quarter point. And that difference is massive to an economy. So, uh, yeah, I'm not going to bet on this. I'm not going to bet on the rate cuts at all. I think Dr. Matt Will, economist, might be right. This economy is the way it's going to be for a while. I'll talk more about the economy coming up. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Sometimes the best way to teach an economics lesson is by listening to others talk about economics. And I'm not talking about some nuts and bolts conversation about supply and demand that could bore you to tears. I'm talking about 
the real world in which you live and how it is discussed by others. In this case, the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. It was a conversation that was taking place on the Hill. And of course, so much of the Hill is 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 focused on the Trump case in Colorado and the Supreme Court hearing the case of Trump's eligibility on the ballot in Colorado. Colorado is like, oh no, no, he's not on the ballot. Lee incited an insurrection based on based on what? Your feelings? Your feelings don't matter. Your feelings are inconsequential. And of course this should be overturned and the and the Colorado Supreme Court should be smacked down as far as I'm concerned. But over there, um, is in the, the, the Senate, the Financial Stability Oversight Council, is Janet Yellen uh, testifying. It's actually the Senate Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs Committee, but it's, she's testifying on the Financial Stability Oversight Council and their annual report. And uh, Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana, who I love me some Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana, that man is good with a quip. He is is asking questions of of Yellen, and I think that they are very uh, they're incredibly informative to us because we experience the economy different than they do. Those who try to set policy or lie to us and tell us everything is going fine. All we hear about is the strength of the economy, and all we see are layoffs. All we hear about is about how strong a purchasing power is, for example, but we know everything costs more, but they tell us wages are going up, even though it doesn't keep up with the cost of the everyday things. We are not in a strong place. Anecdotally, I will talk about all the business owners I talk to. People reach out to me all the time. They don't see a good 2024. They see a frightening 2024. And the layoffs that we have seen, whether it be Citigroup or whether it be Salesforce or or, or UPS, I think proves that point. But there's a couple of pieces here that we need uh, to get to. Let's start with Janet Yellen saying that the high prices, that's not Bidenomics. These high prices caused by Bidenomics are here to stay, aren't they? Well, the high, high prices were not caused by Bidenomics. Um, we suffered a pandemic that resulted in severe dislocations. Yes, ma'am, but if I could ask you, they're here to stay, aren't they? I don't expect the level of prices to go down, but the rate of inflation... So they're here to stay? Well, some prices will be higher than they were before the pandemic and will stay higher, but wages have risen considerably and the pace of price increases has now receded. Um, Over the last six months, the measure of inflation the Fed focuses on has been running exactly at but if wages and wages are going up. You don't get a pay raise, you're screwed. I mean, here's what there's a difference between disinflation and deflation. Y'all talked about disinflation, which I'm, I'm happy to have. Disinflation means less inflation. 
That's what it means, uh, Senator Kennedy. But let's go back to this commentary, this wordplay. Yes, some prices will stay higher. Notice it, it took her a while. It took the prodding. But wages are going up, so it's okay. Is it okay? Wages are going up, so it's okay that prices are higher. That's if your wages went up. What if you're on a fixed income? So this is a conversation for seniors. Your wages didn't go up. You're on the same exact wage, the same exact amount of dollars for the rent and for the food and for the utilities and then for a night out with the girls. And the 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 rent, the food, and the utilities all went up. So much so that even though the price for a night out with the girls went up, you can't afford it anyway. You're staying at home. Of what value is the argument wages went up when the other things have gone up to supplant that? She wants to make the argument. Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, wants to make the argument that it's okay. I don't ration that to be, uh, I don't find a rational way for that to be true. It is not true. And as for this idea of Bidenomics, Bidenomics didn't cause it, it was all COVID. There are plenty of things that COVID disrupted. But one should look at spending and one should look at policy and ask if it made things better or did it elongate an issue? When we take a look at the Great Depression, Government action helped to lengthen the time before the economy could get itself back on track. The same thing doesn't apply here. I will not deny the outrageous amount of spending in the Trump era. Oh my goodness. And the people who do, uh, forget them. They're not, they're not serious people. We need serious people having a conversation. If you're not willing to admit, yeah, there was a lot of spending, now you could defend it. See that? But the, you, you have to at least admit there was a lot of spending. You're not going to admit there was an obscene amount of spending in the last three years of Joe Biden? An outrageous amount of spending predicated on lies regarding the legislation like the, the Inflation Reduction Act or the infrastructure, what was it, the infrastructure, there's something rescue this and rescue that. Who can keep up? These things, how about the idea of cutting energy supply? Oh, we'll get to that in a second. So that was part one of the conversation with Senator Kennedy. Then when when asked specifically about the wages. We don't have to get the prices down because wages wages are going up and um, a, a metric that is worth knowing is that the median American house worker but, but um, stop is able to buy You don't the, think we need to get these prices down? You think it's okay that bacon's up 20% under President Biden? Chicken's up 23.5%? Coffee's up 30%? Gas is up 44%? New cars and trucks are up 20% because people can't afford it. That's used cars because people can't afford a new car. It, they're up 24% on the Bidenomics. You don't think we need to get these prices? We, wages are also up, and wages are up They're not more. up 24%. They're not well, up 27%. Well, they're not up 23%. They're not well, what, up 31 I'm sorry, but what is... Senator Kennedy is on point, but let's leave him to the side and let's get to this argument. 
Could you imagine someone at your dining room table making this argument? Have to get the prices down because wages, wages are going up. We don't have to get the prices down because wages are going up is a child's argument. Now, I brought up the senior on a fixed income. Uh, so, so and, and by the way, they, they don't even discuss that. We may be the first. I doubt we're the first people to discuss it. I'm sure there are plenty of people with PhDs and letters after their name who have engaged this conversation. But we're the first people discussing it now. You haven't heard that conversation anywhere else as a, a matter of, well, wait a second. Listen to what she's saying, but what about this? Listen to what she's saying and recognize that this is the Biden administration dismissing price increases. Dismissing price increases. Now, some things are going to have price increases because, A, we go back to that boring supply and demand that could engage price increases. Certainly, if you have less product coming from places like China that you rely on, if less product is coming out, the product itself is more expensive. Certainly, if you have more inflation and we are at 3.9%, prices are more expensive. So the idea that the price doesn't matter because the wage goes up is radical as a proposition because it is to say that all the other things are okay. The issues with the global supply chain are okay and inflation is okay. The idea that businesses shut down permanently when you shut them down via COVID, they haven't reopened, so therefore there are less suppliers of specific products, thus putting more strain on those suppliers, thus making prices go up, that's okay. I ask you, whether you own a business or you don't own a business, you're sitting at the kitchen table asking your kids this question. You're you're speaking to your spouse, you're with friends on on, on the bar stool. Does that sound okay to you? This is one of those moments where the degree doesn't matter. Your socioeconomic background doesn't matter. Your race, your religion, your sexual orientation doesn't matter. As a matter of just basic rational thought, does that make sense to you? No, it doesn't. Because of course the price of the thing matters. Why does the price of the thing matter in its most basic form? The price of the thing matter be, matters because if the price is lower, I then have more power to do more with my dollar. And isn't that better? This is uh, Bastiat and uh, broken window uh, fallacy. Now, there's broken window theory and broken window fallacy. Broken window theory is uh, about the idea of um, where you see broken windows, that will be blight, that will bring down uh, prices, that will cause depression, that will cause more crime, etc. Broken window fallacy is Frederick Bastiat, the 19th century French economist, and we're talking about uh, a, a parable. The parable goes as follows. So a couple kids are playing a ball in the street. And one of them throws the ball and the other kid misses it because he's terrible at playing ball. And boom, hits a shopkeeper's window, breaks the window. The shopkeeper is infuriated, comes out yelling at the kids, look what you did to my shop window. The people in the town say, whoa, what are you getting so angry about? Sure, he made a mistake and broke the window. But now, now the window guy, he has a job. And, 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 and he gets to fix the window. So he actually did a great service here. 
That's broken window fallacy. The idea that the destruction creates an opportunity. Because, if, if, and, 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 and someone from the Bastiat Society might say to me, well, Tony, you should really say it like this, but go with me here. If breaking a window creates economic growth and provides jobs, shouldn't we all on a daily basis break all our windows? Think of how many jobs would be created. Think of all the jobs that would be created if we just broke every window. Well, think of all the jobs and economic growth that was created when we destroyed Minneapolis and Seattle and Portland during the, uh, during the riots. Oh, that's right, none. This then brings about something else regarding Bastiat, regarding the scene and the unseen. What is seen? is the new window going in and the guy who makes the windows getting paid. But what about what is unseen? And this is what I was referring to earlier. If the shopkeeper is now paying for a new window, the shopkeeper is no longer giving their employee a raise because the money is gone. The shopkeeper is not investing in advertising. The money is gone. The shopkeeper is not buying a new piece of equipment to allow them to be more efficient and allow them to grow. The money is gone. What is unseen is an unbelievably important dynamic in the economics. And Janet Yellen is telling you point blank that that doesn't matter, except it does, because the unseen can be said in a different way. The unseen is actually your decision. If prices are high because of economic policy, that was her decision, and what she took away from that, or what the Biden administration takes away from you, is your decision-making ability. That evaporates quite literally in your hands because your money goes to the broken window because your money goes to the higher price for these things which she argues is inconsequential because you're getting a higher wage first as we've already described you might not be getting a higher wage and secondly she decided for you what you do with your dollars the unseen which is little johnny's braces which is refinishing that bathroom that desperately needs it which is the vacation that honestly you want the the very concept of going out to dinner is is actually a fascinating idea in in reality no one needs a restaurant i'm not anti restaurant pro restaurant oh settle down uh no one needs it you have a home you have access to bread and peanut butter you're fed you're done there is no need for the restaurant why do we have them Because the act of going out to eat, the act of ordering in a pizza or Chinese food or whatever the case may be, is the act of recognition, of a self-recognition of a level of success, of a level of normalcy. I can take my wife out to dinner once a week. I can take the kids for wings. We can order in a pizza it is, it is this, this moment of, you know what? 
I have some control here. You know what? I'm not working this hard for no reason. I can give myself this little luxury. I can give my family this little luxury. And this little luxury is just enough to get us through one more week. I can afford to take my kids to Disney. By the way, if you can afford to take your kids to Disney, you are not in radio. You make way more money than I do. Or I can afford to take them to here for a weekend or afford to... to those little things set the mind and set the soul to a belief that one can make it, that things are good. They are small things and they matter greatly. And what Janet Yellen is saying is, so what? Too bad. It is an obscenity. It's an obscene way to think about the economy. Now, remind me tomorrow to share Senator Kennedy talking about energy. Because I, I, that's what I was, I, I, I mean, that's what I wanted to share. His conversation about energy suicide. Remind me, remind me, remind me to talk about this tomorrow. Because I, I, I can't. I have so many things I, I got to get to. Um, it's it, it's fascinating because that is that is absolutely true. But the the what Janet Yellen is saying here, you're you're not you're not crazy, you're not out of your head. This is abhorrent in every way, and she is saying that you don't have to make your own choices. We'll make them for you. We will take away the unseen. That is not smart economic policy. That is hateful economic policy. That is a hateful thing to say. I'm Tony Katz. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Trump on the ballot in Colorado. The case is before the Supreme Court. The arguments have been going on. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. And it's cool. They, They don't allow cameras in the courtroom, but you can... You can hear the proceedings, and it's it's just so damn cool. Federal enforcement. That's correct. All right. Final question. Um, the Colorado Supreme Court concluded that the violent attempts of the petitioner supporters uh, in this case to halt the count uh, on January 6th qualified as an insurrection, uh, as defined by Section Three, and I read your opening brief to accept uh, that those events counted as an insurrection, um, but then your reply seemed to suggest that they were not. So wh- what is your position oh, as to that? We, we never accepted or conceded in our opening brief that this was an insurrection. What we said in our opening brief was President Trump did not engage in any act that can plausibly be characterized as an insurrection. All right, so- Which matters greatly. I mean, that's that's part of the conversation. That's that's Trump's uh, lawyer there, uh, Mr. Mitchell, I believe. That was Katanji Brown Jackson, Justice Jackson. You can hear it. I'm sorry. The country is still awesome, people. That's all there is to it. Uh, it'll. It, I'll have this breakdown tomorrow of what got said and what didn't, and and how we think it's going to go. Find everything at TonyCats.com. This. 
is Tony Katz today. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Very, very true. I could not think less of Senator Chris Murphy if I wanted to. I mean, I've tried to think less of him, really not think of him at all, but he keeps talking and the words that he uses, the things that come out of his mouth make you say, my gosh, could there be anybody more despicable? And the answer is, well, I guess sure, depending on any given day. But the Senator from Connecticut, Chris Murphy, when it comes to this conversation regarding Border security, immigration, you could not come up with more of a fraud, more of a bad guy than the beta male, Chris Murphy. And for the record, I know that that's like like a dig. I mean it in every way possible. No one has ever come across uh, to me as more weak and more feckless and more just unassuming and, 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 and... those are all characteristics that maybe I should overlook. But then he opens his mouth, and I'm proven right. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything going on at TonyKatz.com. Let me give you the one-two punch. Of course, he was one of the negotiators of this so-called bipartisan legislation regarding uh, border security. And I was not in favor of this deal. And I'm a guy who wants a deal. I'm a guy who wants the border security. I want the, the the policies changed. I want the technology on the border. I want more Border Patrol agents. I want to put an end to the asylum claims. I want remain in Mexico. We need these things. And if you were to vote for these things as standalone things, well, then let's see where everybody is. But you don't even need a vote on remain in Mexico. You just need Joe Biden to enact the policy. So really, this is about willpower. This is about attitude. This is about uh, political ideologies at play. And the political ideology of the political left is meh. You won't get me to disagree that the political right has not done enough regarding the border. Absolutely. It's been going on for decades. We are all in agreement on that. But one cannot deny that Joe Biden does not, and the administration does not enforce remain in Mexico. That they changed the border. They decided that Trump's policies were no good. They made the problem worse. The numbers prove it, and they have done nothing until the last month to even talk about the subject. And the only reason they're doing that was A, Mayorkas was being impeached, and that will come back. Even though they screwed up the first vote, which why you would do that, I don't know. Uh, they will come back with another vote on impeachment of the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, who I believe de- uh, deserves to go because he does a poor job. And if you tell me that's not enough to fire somebody, I don't think you understand anything. Of course, that can fit high crime and misdemeanor. Not doing your job can fit in that category without question. You can find the thing, depending on how you want to say it, because it's a political move, not a legal move, and high crimes and misdemeanors is meant to be a catch-all for all the things. I mean, if you want to debate that with me, I'm totally up for that. What do you think it means? What 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 level of category do you think uh, that that uh, brings you the possibility of impeachment? A phone call? Remember, that was the first impeachment. Trump tried to get Ukraine to do this or that. I, no, no, no. This was all your fever dream. You took a phone call and decided it was an impeachable offense. 
and it went nowhere. And then you decided January 6th, we can do it again. So when we talk about impeachment as political tool, you, the political left, taught the right how to use it. How dare you then complain it's being used like a political tool? I'm, I'm dismissing that. If, if you were to treat the Constitution better, then we would all be better off. But if you did that, you'd recognize that Article 4, Section 4, protecting the nation from invasion is real, that it is the president's purview uh, regarding the border, and he should implement the policies that work like remain in Mexico. But the, the entirety of this, this, this legislation was, was, was doomed because it started, with a, it started with a baseline, a standard that one could say is irrational. And yet they started it with, well, this makes sense. That baseline, we need 5,000 encounters with people claiming asylum before the border shuts down. Why in the world would we think 5,000 is the standard? Who came up with that number? The same guy who said, oh, COVID, you got to stay six feet away from each other, came up with the 5,000 number. This is this one guy's job. Come up with numbers that you think work. Six feet. Wasn't science. It was a lie from our federal government. People should go to jail for that. How does the 5,000 number become the baseline? The political left, you'll note, never asked that question. They never looked at the legislation and said, wait a second, what's happening here? Maybe we would agree on a number, a number of people uh, trying to uh, claim asylum before we shut down the border. 5,000 was the number agreed to? 5,000? Which certainly could play out to that 1.825 million number. 5,000 people a day, 365 days a year, 1.825 million. And the left like, oh, no, 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 it could be shut down for days. Could be. That's absolutely correct. Could be shut down for days. That is not to say that you would engage in that way. One of the issues here was an implementation conversation. You tell me you're going to reduce the ability for people to claim asylum and at the same time say that the Secretary of Homeland Security can grant asylum. These two things cancel each other out. You have not solved a problem. You haven't solved it. Why shouldn't we notice that? Why can't we discuss that? Why would you think that that's okay? Why did you try and get that past us? And I still, I mean, I I didn't mean to go on a tangent there. We still haven't solved the thing about the 5,000. Why was this the number? Shouldn't the number of uh, acceptable illegal immigration be zero? Shouldn't that be the number? I think that should be the number. I've always thought that should be the number. So Senator Chris Murphy goes on CNN. He's talking to Jake Tapper. And? Well, I actually haven't seen him angrier behind closed doors. That is as angry as he gets. I was actually sitting standing in my office uh, with a number of my staff people watching him give that speech. We were all absolutely awestruck by you know how strong he has been at this moment when all of his colleagues are abandoning him. Uh, the short answer to your question is, Jake, is that I think for the time being, um, Republicans are never going to compromise on immigration. I think the only way that immigration ever gets solved as a problem is if Democrats are in charge of the House and the Senate. We change the rules and we get something passed with a majority vote. I think Republicans can't imagine a world in which the problem of immigration is solved 
Like, what would they do on their weekends if not drag the press down to the border to show off how broken it was? What would they do if they couldn't complain about this as an issue? I don't think they can live with a world in which immigration is solved. And so for the foreseeable future, I unfortunately don't see any world in which we resuscitate this compromise that so many Republicans said they wanted, but then ran away from as soon as it was put on the floor for them. That's not the case. But my gosh, only Democrats can bring us border security? You've had numerous opportunities and you haven't done it. What stopped you? What kept you from bringing us border security? When we talk about going to the border, it's because Joe Biden doesn't. Although, if you listen to Corinne Jean-Pierre, oh, Joe Biden's been to the border and my gosh, he has seen what Border Patrol goes through. Well, the president was at the border uh, last year, so just want to make sure and make that clear. Uh, and so he got to see for himself uh, what the uh, Border Patrol agents go through their process. Uh, he got to see the technology that's used. He went to El Paso. El Paso is not the border. El Paso is not the border. Just stating what it, what is. Just stating the facts. He's never been to the border. And your borders are Kamala Harris? Are we kidding? <laughs> Honestly, on the over-under, what is it the over-under that I'm going to use that sound effect on, on, on the show? <laughs> I, I think it should always be a three and a half. Because you know it's going to happen. It's just too good. The idea that only Democrats can solve this problem because Republicans just want to complain about it? You have a party that wants open borders. Representative Ocasio-Cortez has stated multiple times the way to get rid of the undocumented problem is to document them. She means citizenship. She has said the words. Again, ideology before actually engaging in a solving. This deal didn't work. Maybe there's another deal. Why, Senator Murphy, hasn't the Senate taken up House Bill 2, which passed months ago? Chuck Schumer won't bring it to the floor. Chuck Schumer won't bring it to the floor. And yet somehow, it's all about the Republicans. The reason we have to bring it up is because mainstream media, national media, they're only going to quote and share Chris Murphy. They're never going to ask the question, why was 5,000 the number? Maybe they should go back with 2,000. Let's see what happens then. Maybe they should go back with a change here. Maybe they should go back with a tweak there. No, You want to talk about compromise? No changes, no tweaks, no maneuvering. They just say it's dead, Republicans' fault, the end. Proving that it's political. If they wanted to actually solve this, wouldn't they make tweaks to the legislation? Wouldn't they make changes that could get everybody on board? No one's even discussing making changes. They just gave up and walked away, yet Chris Murphy lectures to us. And then he goes into a conversation with uh, Chris Hayes. You want to talk about beta males. I know, it's so rude of me, yet it's factual. Check this out. The negotiation didn't have a path to citizenship. It was entirely on their terms in order to get Ukraine funding, right? 
Well, I mean, Chris, that's been a failed play for 20 years. So you are right that that has been the Democratic strategy for 30 years, maybe. uh, And it has failed to deliver for the people we care about most, the undocumented Americans that are in this country. This is also not 2013 any longer when we ran that play. Did you just say undocumented Americans is what we care about most? Wait a second. Did Senator Murphy... Connecticut, did you just say undocumented Americans? Can we can we have a moment, please? Just take a moment and listen to that one more time, if we could, just just one more time. Maybe, uh, and it has failed to deliver for the people we care about most, the undocumented Americans that are in this country. Oh, okay. Now tell me how serious you are about border security. Now tell me when you engage legislation, who are you writing it for? The citizens of Connecticut? The citizens of the United States? It doesn't seem so because you said the people you care about most are undocumented undocumented Americans. Who is that? What does it even mean to be an undocumented American? You're stating clearly that the thing you favor is the pathway to citizenship, just what I was talking about with Representative Ocasio-Cortez, and you're already calling them Americans. They're not Americans. I'm not even angry at them. They're not Americans. Well, I'm angry at the ones who come to the United States and then commit crimes and are part of these huge crime rings, and they're stealing phones from people. They're stealing the data off the phones. They're they're cleaning out Venmo accounts and Cash App accounts, and then the phones are being shipped out of the country and then sold in foreign countries. And this is all your fault, Chris Murphy, because you should be opposed to this, and you should be in favor of throwing those people out of the country by the tens of thousands if you cared about Americans. But you care about undocumented Americans. In your words, the people you care about most. Years, maybe. uh, And it has failed to deliver for the people we care about most, the undocumented Americans that are in this country. Why would I trust you to get a deal done? Now, I want to take this and I want to play it for Senator Lankford and Senator McConnell. I want to play that for them so they understand what it is that they are up against. You walk into a negotiation actually trusting. How do you trust Chris Murphy? He just told you that his Americans aren't his focus. He loves most undocumented Americans. I don't believe that's a Freudian slip. I believe that's a proud statement. That's what He's saying, what made you think you could create a deal with this guy? If I'm Lankford, I say out loud, okay, what do we have to change? Maybe you can make some changes. Say to the Democrats, let's get together and let's make some changes. Let's try this again. You don't want to try it again. I thought border security mattered to you. There is an opportunity for a political win here. All you have to do is take it. But I don't expect necessarily the Republican Party to even figure that one out. Look, I think they're better on border security, but I didn't say they were bright. As for the political left, they've told you what they're all about. They've told you that this is all just posturing. And us, 
We're the ones getting screwed. We're the ones getting harmed. We're the ones getting damaged. We're the ones having businesses being destroyed. We're the ones being mugged. We're the ones losing our rights by the second, never mind, our feeling of safety and security. Not good, kids. Not good at all. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Absolute victory. That's what Netanyahu is going for. That's what he has said. Sorry, Hamas, we're not going to take your so-called deals for a ceasefire. We are going to have absolute victory. Good. That's what's necessary, and it's necessary for the rest of the world, I think, to see that. Let them know that Israel is not worried about what you say about them in some UN meeting or, or all your other claims. Hamas is a terrorist organization that needs to be destroyed. And statements like this from the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, don't help. Israelis were dehumanized in the most horrific way on October 7th. The hostages have been dehumanized every day since. But that cannot be a license to dehumanize others. You've got a war. You have got Hamas, you have got an electorate there, if you will, that has said in poll after poll they would re-elect Hamas. You have hostages. Hamas has to be destroyed. Hamas is a terrorist organization. They murdered 1,300 people. It's the way it is. Israel is offering the idea of a uh, ceasefire, and uh, they will let the head of uh, Gaza go, uh, the head of Hamas, I should say, Sinwar, in, in exchange for release of all 136 hostages. Like Yasser Arafat left, they'll let him leave. Maybe he'll, you know, be like, hey, my life matters, forget the rest of you. Getting the hostages is what matters to Israelis because they care more about humanity than anybody in Hamas. But in order for humanity to be, you know, safe, Hamas has to be destroyed. And so do the leaders of Iran. That's just reality. Find everything at TonyKatz.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.